0: What does it say to us about, what does it say about us as a church when we have a bigger party when someone leaves than when they come? <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, it's good to be in God's house today, isn't it? And it's always good to, to look into his word and, and see what it has to say to us. Um, so I guess as we get started, I'd like to open in prayer, because... Uh, I know, I know how busy everybody is and the kind of distractions that you all have uh, all week long. In fact, some of you even this morning had distractions, and uh, so I'd like to pray for you that we could clear away some of those distractions and that we might be able to hear what the Lord has to say to us through his word this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to be here this morning, and I thank you that Uh, people were able to get here in spite of the slippery roads and and the weather lord i thank you for their dedication to come and to hear your word and to worship you Uh, lord i i pray that our time here would always be about worshiping you and not about ourselves and so lord right now i pray that you'd clear out the busyness out of our lives out of our minds uh, lord and help us to be able to hear from you this morning illuminate your word And uh, may we be listening to you this morning. Lord, if there are those here this morning who need some encouragement, Lord, I pray that they would get that encouragement, that you would give them that encouragement this morning. And Lord, for those of us that need to have a challenge this morning, I pray that you would do that as well. But that's not going to happen, Lord, if we're not listening to what you have to say to us. So, Father, I ask your blessings upon us as we look into your word. And I pray for each and every person here, Lord, that they might be listening and be able to hear what you have to say to them. Not what I have to say, but what you have to say. So help us to be paying attention this morning. And we pray in the wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Let me ask you a question. You know, those bright lights, I can't hardly see you out there. Um, Let me ask you a question. How many of you have experienced an earthquake? Anybody? There's some over here, some down here, some back here. Okay, tell me, how did that make you feel when you're experiencing an earthquake? Now, if it was just a little tremor, probably not much. But if it was really kind of a shaker, how would that make you feel? Did you feel kind of unsteady? Did you feel kind of unsafe? Like, what's happening? It does do that, doesn't it? It makes you feel a little insecure. It's like, you know, I thought I was in control, but when the earth starts shaking under you, not necessarily do you feel that way. And uh, earthquakes can be a pretty scary thing to, uh, to experience. Ha, tell me, if you were in an earthquake, where would you rather be? Would you rather be along Michigan Avenue in Chicago with all of the large buildings around you? Or would you rather be walking across an open field in northern Michigan? Which would you prefer to do if an earthquake happened? Well... I think the obvious answer is I'd rather be out in the field because I'm not even sure I would notice. I'd rather not be in a situation where these large pieces of glass and concrete might come down and crush me. And uh, t- this morning we're going to talk about a church that uh, knew all about earthquakes. They, they lived with them pretty consistently. And so as we uh, look at that church this morning... Uh, uh, just think about what it must have been like for them to live in an area where there were lots of earthquakes going on. So, I'd like you to stand. We're going to read Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. i I'm going to read that together. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, and the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, I uh, again ask your blessings upon your word as we look into it today. And uh, Lord, just thank you for your word. It's precious. It is your word. And Lord, it it has the ability to penetrate our lives. And uh, I just ask that you would do that for each of us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're talking this morning about a church... um, in Philadelphia. And they were going to put a picture up there, a map, because contrary to Pastor Jeff, you don't have to wait a year to get a map on the screen. Okay? just want to let you know that. Uh, He's been talking about uh, these places. We've been through several churches. By the way, right here is the island of Patmos. That's where John, the Apostle John, wrote the book of Revelation. Okay? He was exiled. He was off in this little island, all by himself, and the Lord gave him this revelation that we call revelation. We've been talking about the churches here. This one is Ephesus. That was the first church. Just up the road, we see there's Smyrna. That was the second church. Up the road is Pergamon. That was the third church. Then we came down to Thyatira. Then we came last week, we were talking about Sardis. This week, we're talking about Philadelphia, And down the road a little further is the town of Laodicea, which is the seventh church, which is the one we're going to talk about next time. These black lines were Roman roads. And one of the great things the Romans did uh, when they took power was they built roads because prior to that the roads were not very good. And so the Romans built some great roads, and that's one of the reasons they were able to get along. Notice as the, the seven churches, as this letter was written, it kind of follows a pattern one after the other, as they kind of made that kind of crescent-shaped picture there. Philadelphia, we're going to talk about today, is located uh, next to a fertile plain that was out this way, and they grew lots of, uh, they had vineyards there, and they grew lots of wine in that area. Uh, This is about 40 miles from Sardis to Philadelphia, just to give you a reference of distance. Um, Both Sardis, Sardis was larger than Philadelphia was, and Laodicea was much, much larger than Philadelphia. Philadelphia was, in relative to the other towns, was pretty small. And one of the reasons it was small was because in 17 AD, about 50 years before the time this letter was written, uh, that, that city experienced a, a huge earthquake, uh, pretty much destroyed the city uh, when, when that earthquake hit. So a lot of the people then, guess guess what they did after that? Most of them moved out to the country. They lived out on their farms or in the farming areas around it. So actually, at this time, Philadelphia was not that large because a lot of people had moved out. It was kind of a fact. If you want to put up the next slide, I'll show you some of the reasons why these are Roman columns, these, these particular ones happened to be some I took pictures of when I was in Israel. Uh, this is a place called Bethshan, but they're Roman, They're from the Roman period. And Philadelphia had several temples there uh, to various gods, mostly Roman gods. And uh, they would have these pillars in town along with temples that went with it and uh, other municipal buildings that were there. These were large buildings that had uh, a lot of stone to them. So when an earthquake strikes, you know, I don't think there was probably a, a building in that town that didn't have cracks in it or chunks of concrete or not concrete, but, but uh, rocks that had fallen off. Uh, put the next screen up just to give you an idea how big those, those columns are. That's my son Ryan. He's about six foot one. So these columns are gigantic. Uh, they're made, made out of stone and they're unbelievably heavy. And so guess what happens to a column when an earthquake happens? Go ahead, next slide. Well, you can see here, they're laying on the ground. Those columns, of course, once the ground shook on it, they would topple over. And uh, trust me, you, you didn't want to be anywhere near those things when they came down. And, of course, they were dangerous. And so to live in, in Philadelphia when all these earthquakes would happen, and that whole area, that central what was called Asia then is, today we call it Turkey, but that central area is, is known for lots of earthquakes. They have lots of earthquakes there. And uh, so you can understand why the people after 17 AD and they had that massive earthquake, they, a lot of them moved out. So that's all kind of the background story of this, of this town. And uh, so I wanted to fill you in on a little bit of that. It helps us understand uh, a little bit more about who they are I would like to take a look at the text this morning and, uh, and see what it says, first of all, before we talk about, you know, what it means. So let's take a look and see what the text says. It starts out by talking about the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And uh, this is one thing that I wanted to point out, and I think Jeff has probably pointed this out in previous weeks, but these were real churches. This is a church that actually existed. It was a small church. Uh, in the town of Philadelphia. And that's a real city and a real place. The archaeology tells us that. So this isn't a metaphor about some something else. This is a real church uh, that's being expressed here, a specific church. And also note, who is writing this to the church? Who's writing to the church? Anybody know? Jesus, right. We know this whole section is Jesus' kind of narrative to these different churches uh, that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. And so what's being said here, I don't know, in my Bible it's in red letters, so that tells me it's from Jesus, right? But anyhow, uh, it, is, it is Jesus speaking to the church, and it tells us a little bit about Jesus here. It says that he is holy and true, right? What is it to be holy? It means that, it, that Jesus is without sin, He's holy. He's separated from that. And he's also true. And what does it mean that Jesus is true? It means that he is absolutely faithful to whatever he says. When Jesus makes a promise, he always keeps his promise because he is truth. He doesn't just speak truth. He is truth. He is the truth. So... Uh, just realize who's writing this to this church. It's Jesus Christ, who is God. By the way, the only one who can be truly pure and holy and the only one who can be true without a doubt is God. And Jesus is God. So right off the bat, we can see that, that that's the truth. It goes on here, in, uh, in, and it talks about how Jesus holds the key of David. You ever wonder what the key of David is? The key of David is actually like a royal key. They would have understood this better in their culture than we would. But the royal key was the door that, that opened all the doors to important things. So he, hold, he holds the key. And we know the key, that the, door, the, the door that he's talking about in this passage, is the door that opens the kingdom of God, or Heaven. So what he's talking about is Jesus holds this key. And he says, uh, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Notice back in chapter 1, Jesus said of himself, he said, I hold the keys to death in Hades. And he's the one that has the ability to open doors, to open the door of heaven. And he's the one that has the authority to close the door of heaven. Okay, Only he has that key. He's, he holds the key of, called the key of David. David was, Jesus was really the fulfillment of the line of David. So that's why we know that that's who that is. This reminds me, by the way, of a passage back in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7 it, that says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. See, that was a time when Jesus had closed the door to heaven. So he has the ability to do that. And uh, this is just a great, I think, a great reminder to all of us that we don't get to heaven on our terms. We get to heaven on his terms. Because he controls that door. When he opens the door of heaven, it stays open until he decides to close it. And when he decides to close it, it stays closed. So just know that about who, who wrote this letter and, and who we're talking about. Verse 8, he makes a statement here at the beginning of verse 8. He says, I know your deeds. Did you notice that in every single letter to every single church that he's talked about so far, he makes that same statement? I don't know if you noticed that or not. I know your deeds. And I don't know about you, but that, that should cause me to pause when I live my life. Because Jesus knows. He sees it all. He knows what we do. He knows what we say. Not only does he know what we say, he knows why we say what we say. And he knows why we do what we do. The truth is, we can't hide from Jesus. You know, we can hide from each other and think we're getting away from things, getting away with things. It doesn't work with Jesus because he knows our deeds. He knew exactly what was going on in each of these churches. He knew exactly what was going on in the Church of Philadelphia. He saw everything that was going on. So it's just, to me, it's just a great reminder and something for all of us to be aware of. You will find that concept all through Scripture, that he knows. He is not like your brother next door. He is God, and he is everywhere, and he sees everything. So it's just a good reminder when he says that I know your deeds... uh, it's good, good for us to, to recognize that. I think he was reminding each of these churches that he knew exactly what was going on in each of them. Next, you notice in, uh, in verse 8 there, he says, uh, See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And you can see the graphic there of, of an open door. And he's really, this is kind of a bit of a challenge, I think, to the church or a reminder to the church there in Philadelphia as well as to us that there is an open door that he's put, he's given to us and put right in front of us, an open door. There it is. It's right in front of us. <clears throat> as he says, I have, I have placed before you, church in Philadelphia, an open door that no one can shut. So this open door, this open door to heaven is open right in front of this church. And so what does that mean? What does that mean that that there's an open door before this church in Philadelphia? Well, to me, it kind of means two things. The door to heaven is open right now. He's left it open. And the truth is, if you haven't walked through the door yet, He's saying to church in Philadelphia, it's open. You can open that door. Now, what is the door? The door, really, as we know from Scripture, is Jesus Christ himself. If you remember uh, the parable about uh, the sheep and the pasture and, and what is in, in John chapter 7, what does it say? Jesus says to them, I am the gate for the sheep. I'm the one. You walk through me. I'm the only way. So he is that gate. The gateway to heaven and he has that door open right now so the first thing it means to the church in philadelphia as well as to us is that that door is open right now the door to heaven is open all you need to do is walk through the door which means all you need to do is believe in what jesus did on the cross all you need to do is understand that he died on the cross for our sins i'm a sinner And he died on the cross for my sins, and he was resurrected and gained victory over death. And all I need to do is believe in that, and that's walking through the door. So that's one of the things for sure that it means, um, that this is before them. The second thing I think the door uh, talks about or means is that it's also that it is the door of heaven, but for the church in Philadelphia— and to the church in Walloon Lake, what he's saying is, are you pointing anybody to the open door? Because it's there it is, church. It's before you. I've got it open. It's before you. Are you pointing anybody to the open door? And I think that's the second part, really, of the meaning. Uh, is it a door of opportunity? The Apostle Paul understood this, and I was going to put a couple of verses here. In 1 uh, Corinthians, he says, For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, and if the Lord permits, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Notice there's a great door of opportunity. That's So when uh, Paul talks about the door, he's talking about a door of opportunity. And in 2 Corinthians, he says a similar thing. He says, Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. So the door also can represent this uh, opportunity for ministry, this pointing people to the door, to Jesus. So we know it can mean both of those things um, for sure. And if you... Uh, pay any attention in the last several weeks you 'll notice that the churches in fact, I think Pastor Jeff stuck it in your eye a few times. Um, the churches were being uh, in, many times they were being commended for good things, but they were also being uh, challenged because they had weak things going on in their church or things that they weren 't doing well or weren 't doing right and he He criticizes them almost He's, he he puts some judgment on them and challenges them to fix those things uh, that weren't right and we've been through that over the last several weeks the interesting thing about the church in Philadelphia is there's none of that Jesus has no correction for, for the church in Philadelphia at all it's uh, he says to them uh, this, is, this is in verse 8 as well after he talks about the door he says I know that you have little strength See, they were a small church, didn't have much going for them. And they didn't have much strength. But then go on and see what it says. He says, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So in spite of them being small, in spite of them not having much strength, they kept his word and they did not deny his name. They didn't pretend like they didn't know who he was, and I'm not. I'm not really a Christian. I'm just going to hide out in this town uh, because I'm so small and so uh, ineffective in what I can do. But they stood firm in their faith, and so Jesus knew this about them, and Jesus knew that they were small and ineffective, but yet they were faithful to Him. They stood up and believed in what in what Jesus had for them. And so as we notice that, as we read this passage of Scripture, really the rest of the letter is encouragement. Jesus says all kinds of encouraging things to the church in Philadelphia to encourage this small little church of faithful believers in Philadelphia. And so as you look at the rest of what he has to say there, for the most part, it's uh, words of encouragement. I'll tell you, when there's a door of opportunity, ministry opportunity open, what always happens? We have obstacles. They get in the way of us exercising those opportunities, don't we? And this church had this very similar problem. They had this door of opportunity. The the door was open. Um, Jesus put it right before them. And what happens, if you look in verse 9 is he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Synagogue of Satan, as you remember, Jeff described this in a fair amount of detail uh, back in the church in Smyrna. They were facing these same ones. They're, they claim to be Jews, although they are not, but are liars. And so these guys were anti-Christian Jews, basically. And just to give you an understanding of what this would have meant in the church in Philadelphia, it's not like there was that synagogue across the street that caused the church on the other side of the street trouble. That's not, that's not how it was because the Jewish community was much larger than the Christian community. The Jewish community, this, these, these guys would have been had s- several buildings and an entire community of several thousand people that would have made up the Jewish community here. And the church, and most historians tell me that the, the church during this time in Philadelphia probably only had two or three dozen people in it. So just to give you an idea, they're small, they're being opposed by this much larger group, and it, it had to be, it must have seemed in, insurmountable for them to carry on ministry for the Lord and to be faithful. They must have felt tremendous pressure in that community because of the uh, opposition and the obstacles uh, that they were facing so that's, that's what's going on it reminds me of course of lots of people uh, in our world today a lot of Christians today don't have it like we do I don't know if that's good or bad but we know that many of them are small and don't have much power they don't have much going for them and yet they're faithful many of them are dying uh, you, you probably have heard in the news recently about uh, the Christians in Syria who, were, who had been chased up a mountain and they were trying to hold out and, and many, many, many of them were dying. And they didn't have any power and didn't have any strength and yet they obviously everybody knew they were Christians. And so there are people today that would understand this situation that this church was in probably better than we do. And yet individually... We do all are in places in life where we can feel the pressure uh, of people around us who are anti-Christian. Uh, we can begin to feel that way. And so as we look at the rest of this letter, I want you to keep that in mind, that uh, this, this could be for you as well. So he goes on and, and, and gives them a word of encouragement here because what he says after he, he says that they're liars, he says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. See, he lets them know that they might be a strong opposition to them right now, but if they continue to be faithful to him, those people in, in the future will be bowing at their feet, acknowledging that Jesus loves them. The, the church that's being, uh, that's being under pressure now. So that's a word of encouragement, for sure, to recognize that, you know what, you may have opposition now, but down the road, in the future, Jesus makes this promise that these guys are going to be bowing at your feet in the future. So again, an encouraging word for a church that I think needed encouragement. In verse 10, he goes on and gives some more encouragement. As he says here, "...since you have kept my command and endured patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial." that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth again more more words of encouragement uh, This he's talking here about a time in the future of great trial and it's going to be affecting the entire world and most people consider this to be the great tribulation and I'm not going to talk much about this because when we get to Revelation chapter 6 and all the chapters forward uh, talk a lot about this tribulation time. So I'm not gonna, you're going to hear a lot about that coming forward in the next several weeks once we get to chapter 6. So I'm not going to talk a lot about that. Just know that that day of great tribulation is predicted to come. And what Jesus is saying here to the church in Philadelphia, he says, I'm gonna, I promise to protect you from that hour of trial. Right? He's making that promise to them. They've been faithful to him under pressure, and he's saying, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be faithful to you as well. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Some people say the believers, the, faith, the true believers, are going to be taken away before the time of the Great Tribulation. And other people say you're going to go through the Great Tribulation, but God's going to protect you through it. Uh, you're going to be there to be a witness and so forth. I don't know which is right. Theologians have argued about that forever. I'm not going to solve that problem today. But the one thing I want you to remember about that is that God is going to protect faithful Christians through that time period, one way or the other. Either he's going to take them out or he's, he's going to protect them through it. And he's making that promise to this little church that was under a lot of pressure. And that's good, good for us to, to recognize. Verse 11, he continues to encourage them. We'll read verse 11 here. It says, I am coming soon. You know what? Is that an encouraging word or what? I don't know about you, but it seems like Jesus is, like, never going to come. It's been a long time. And is he really going to come? Well, again, Jesus is absolute truth. And when he makes the promise that says, I'm going to come, he's going to come. You can count on that. And so, again, they feel lonely and by themselves and isolated as this little church. Uh, and, and Jesus says to them, you know what? I'm coming, I'm coming soon. And uh, talk about an encouragement. That would be a tremendous encouragement uh, to them for sure. And it should be to us. He says, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Uh, crown is an interesting thing uh, in scripture. Of course, a lot of times it's talk about crowns on kings and all that sort of thing. This is, a, this is really a symbol or a metaphor or a figure of speech, however you want to call it, uh, that represents honor and blessing that a person will receive in heaven. As a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are faithful and if you do the jobs that God's called you to do, and if you're faithful to it, you receive what are called crowns. And we know that uh, both... both uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about it. James wrote about it. And, of course, John here writes about it. And so these are crowns that will be uh, available, and uh, we will be able to cast at the feet of, of Jesus when we get into glory. And, uh, and what he's encouraging them here is to not give up. Don't give up some of those crowns or rewards in heaven. Now, those crowns have absolutely nothing to do with salvation. It's not related to salvation at all. It's related to things that you'd be able to offer at the feet of Jesus when you get there. Uh, and they're, they're kind of recognition uh, for how faithful and, and um, obedient you've been here on earth. So that's what he's talking about when he mentions those crowns. As we come to verse 12, he says here, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of god never again will they leave it i will write on them the name of my god and the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my god and i will also write on them my new name another word great word of encouragement isn't it because he's he's really telling them. He says, if you hold on and remain faithful, you will be victorious. And when you are, that means that I'm going to give you a permanent place in my temple in heaven in the future. Remember that big, tall, strong temple that you saw a picture of earlier. Well, they're not going to have physical temples uh, in the future, but we will have this spiritual temple. And what he's saying is, you're going to have a a firm, permanent place. in in his temple and in the new Jerusalem and when it talks about the new Jerusalem that's talking about heaven okay and you're going to again hear a lot more about that you can look forward to it in chapter 21 I think Pastor Jeff will get there sometime in 20 uh, sometime in the future (laughs) chapter 21 because we're only in chapter 3 now anyhow you're going to hear more about the new jerusalem when we get further along and you can read ahead if you want read chapter 21 where it talks about the new jerusalem and that's a picture also of heaven so what jesus is telling the church here if you hold on and remain faithful then you're going to have this permanent place it's like a big like a big pillar and they would have understood that because they had seen these big roman columns all over and uh, they would have recognized that's pretty permanent in fact the pictures I took, you know, those things were built a couple thousand years before that. How many structures do you know of that have lasted a couple thousand years? Not too many, but those Roman columns are pretty strong. And so a picture of the permanence that God gives us is pretty cool. He also talks about them receiving the name of God, and the, and the city of God is written on them, and that they have a, a new name. Uh, that, and that represents really having special honor. If you look through scripture, people's names got changed when they were chosen to be used in special ways by God. If you look at Abram, his name was changed to Abraham. If you looked at Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. If you look at Saul, his name was changed to Paul. And so having a, a new name written in heaven is, is a special honor that will be given to you. So you see all these words of encouragement that are given to this church that really needed some encouragement. And Jesus knew that. He'd seen their deeds. He'd seen how faithful they were. And he knew that they needed encouragement. And so he had John write these words down specifically just for that church, just for those individuals. So in summary, I wanted to just summarize the encouragement that Jesus gave this small little church in Philadelphia. He said, I would like to take care of their enemies. He says, I will take care of their enemies. He says, I would, I would keep them from tribulation. And he also promises that God will honor them in the future if they remain faithful, if they continue to do what they've been doing. And so these, this is a great passage of encouragement uh, to, to those of us that don't think we have much power. Uh, I don't know how many of you think you have a lot of power. If you do, it's just a delusion, really. Um, because you don't have, and as a Christian, you really don't have power in your own strength. And that's becoming more and more obvious, I think, as time goes by. At least for me. As you get older, you recognize you have a lot less power. How about you, Peter? You got more as much power as you had when you were 18? Yeah, probably not. Uh, in any case... Uh, this is, this is really a word of encouragement to everyone. So the question is, what does all this mean for us today? What does all of it mean? How do we apply this? We just saw what it says. Let's talk about how, what that means to us. And I think it tells us, one of the things it tells us is it doesn't matter how powerful or smart or popular you are or how unpopular and unintelligent and how, uh, how you have little power, it doesn't make any difference. If you are faithful, if you have faith, guess what happens? And God's called you to do something, for instance, pointing people to the door of Jesus, guess what happens? You will have success, not because you are have any of those things, but because the God behind that message has all that power and I think that's what he was trying to convey to the church in Laodicea continue to be faithful in how you live your life for Jesus continue to point people to Jesus continue to do what God's calling you to do and you will have success because Jesus promises to be behind you and to cause that to happen so be encouraged with that today we must be faithful to him And what that means is that we need to see the opportunities that are before us, just like this church had the open door before them. The open door was given to them, open to them. And so you need to see the opportunities that are there and don't see the obstacles. You get that? See the opportunities, don't see the obstacles. If it's something God wants you to do, those obstacles will come but God has the power to overcome the obstacles pretty easily, actually. So be sure to recognize that. In all of church history, God has used all kinds of people. You know, we, we've got all of the records in Scripture, lots of examples of God using people. And uh, you can tell that he oftentimes uses the nobodies instead of the somebody's, And so that's, that's an encouragement, I think, to us to recognize that we need to do that. So in closing, real quick here, because I just noticed the clock, and it uh, seems like time didn't go that fast, but anyhow, uh, there's the open door here. And what I want each of you to do is think about that open door. That means two really two things, doesn't it? Either do you need to walk through the open door that Jesus has given us, He's got the door open to heaven right now. It won't always be open. Sometimes in the future, it's going to be closed. And uh, today is the day that you have an opportunity. So if you have not walked through the door of opportunity, today is the day to consider that. And by the way, if you've already walked through that door, the question for you is, the question for we us as a church and us as individuals is are we pointing anybody to the door are we doing that because that's what Jesus was expecting out of the church in, in uh, Philadelphia it's what he expects out of our church here you know Jesus said in the, in the gospels he talked about how there's a wide road that leads to destruction many will go down that road and there's a narrow road that leads to life I'll tell you what people walking through life they're not going to see the door and they're certainly not going to see the narrow path when they're walking down when they're driving down the expressway somebody's got to point it out to them somebody's got to say there's the narrow road to life don't miss it slow down don't miss the road but we've got to point it that way and the same is true uh, with this door no one's going to see the door of opportunity here and it's really our job as God's children to to point people to Jesus because he's the way to heaven. He's the only way. He says that he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So I want you to look at that door and I want you to think about where you're at with that door. If you walk through the door, do do you have a place guaranteed in heaven for you? And if you have, how are you doing with your job of pointing people to that open door? A couple things to think about. I'd like you to bow your heads right now. Think about that as I pray, as I ask you a couple of questions. Have you personally walked through the open door yourself? Have you trusted Jesus for your eternal life? Have you believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was resurrected for you so that you can have eternal life? I'd like to ask anybody in here that hasn't done that, today would be a good day to walk through that door. And so I'm going to ask you if if you're that person that hasn't done that yet, if you would slip up your hand so that I can see you because I want to pray for you. Anybody here? All right. For the rest of you, church in Walloon Lake, who of you are willing to do the job that Jesus has given to us? Who of you will be faithful and point people to the open door? Who of you will share the gospel with people in your own world who don't know about the open door? Can you slip up your hand if you're willing to be one of those who will open the door? Because I want to pray for you as well. Thank you. By the way, those of you who want to know more about accepting christ as their savior and walking through the door the prayer chapel over here to my left and your right is open after service if you want to talk to someone they'll be over there waiting uh, to pray with you over there so keep that in mind so lord we uh I, i want to ask lord for your strength and your encouragement for those of us that want to lead someone to christ this week my prayer lord is that you would bring someone into our path this week each of us that you have already prepared to hear the gospel message. I pray, Lord, that we would be paying attention this week and would be noticing the people around us. And, Lord, that we would point them to Jesus, point them to that open door. It's free. It doesn't cost a thing. But it does require faith. And so, Lord, I pray that each of us would be faithful this week in doing that. Give us the ability to overcome the obstacles. Lord, the obstacles like our fear of people and our fear of rejection and, Lord, our fear of failure. Help us to overcome those obstacles. Help us to, to look at the open door, look at the, the opportunity that's before us and not to look at the obstacles that prevent us from moving forward. Lord, help us to move past those who are shy and, and those, Lord, who are reserved and those who are intimidated in the world they live in. Father, help them to stay focused on what you've called them to do and help them to have the faith to realize you're behind it. The power of God is in the message of the gospel. It's not in the messengers. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give each of us the faith and the courage and the strength to be able to have the faith that we need to point people to Jesus to point to that open door. Lord, help us to not be hearers of the word only, but also let us be doers of the word. And help us to remember that Jesus is watching. He knows our deeds. So Lord, help us to be faithful to him this week. Help us to make good choices. And so Lord, we thank you for this word that you've given to us And, Lord, I pray that uh, we would put this word into practice in our lives. Lord, for those who are feeling pressured to quit, who are feeling pressured to, to give up, Lord, may this message today be an encouragement to them, knowing all that they have, all the promises that Jesus has given to us. May it encourage us, Lord, to continue to hold our faith and to stand firm. So, Lord, thank you for... Each and every person that's here, I ask your blessings upon them, and I pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.